0: Hello and welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here as usual to answer questions about mindfulness meditation practice and Buddhist practice in general with special emphasis on questions of practical concern, questions that have some practical importance rather than just being theoretical or speculative or anything like that. We're also here to be mindful, so the first 15 minutes we'll, we will collect questions and take the 15 minutes to cultivate mindfulness together. Good way to prepare yourself to listen to or talk about the Dhamma. So once you've asked your question, post your question in chat, then just you can do walking meditation, sitting meditation, or both. If you don't have any question, well, you can stick around and take it as a mindfulness exercise and listen to the answers. At 15 minutes after the hour, I will be back to begin to answer questions. And Chris is here to ask them on your behalf. All right, that's 15 minutes. So from here on, we'd ask that the chat be reserved for only questions. No comments or discussion, just to keep it clean. If you have questions, again, now's the time to post them in chat. Uh, If there aren't any questions, we will just end early. I see there are a few questions at least, so we'll answer those. And if they keep coming, we'll keep answering until the end of the hour. Again, we're focused on questions of practical concern, looking to help you.
1: We do have a few questions prepared. When we note or label, should we make sure to enunciate the word fully in our mind Or is it okay to mumble it, or think, the start of the word only, if that's what happens naturally? Sometimes it's almost not even a word, but just a sound, unless I make effort to enunciate.
0: So none of those things are, all of those things are called details. And details are something we try to ignore, not ignore, let's say to, um, well, they aren't a part of, of the practice. So. If you notice something like that, you should really note it, something like knowing when you're aware that something strange has happened, like you've only said the first part of the word, or like like you're mumbling it, or like you're trying to enunciate it. Any of these things, all of these things are extra, and so you should note them, and, and they're not part of the exercise. The exercise really is just saying in your mind, seeing or thinking or so on. If there's anything, any quality to it that you notice, you should note that quality and try to just let go of it. You certainly shouldn't try to uh, cultivate it. And the idea is simplicity. That's the whole point of the practice. Uh, Anything that's extra you should discard. You shouldn't follow it.
1: How does one avoid Getting stuck in one of the levels or states of meditative absorption, Jhāna, how does it happen in the first place? Is it something to be aware of and prepare for? Well, it,
0: it depends whether you mean stuck in or stuck at on. There's, there's two ways you could be thinking. I don't think you're actually suggesting that one get stuck in something in the sense that one can't get back out of it like oh i'm in jhana for in jhana jail or something like that um but it's it's another thing to say that you're stuck at one of the levels and can't get to a higher level for example those are two very different things so the first one actually is possible Uh, technically, there's a way of speaking that might allow for that. It's possible to be stuck in a jhana, like to be actually in a state of absorption for up to seven days. But nobody who experienced it would ever tell you that they were stuck in it. It wouldn't feel like being stuck. It would be, I mean, it's an incredibly uh, advanced and and high-minded accomplishment. It's a very rare and powerful thing. So anyone who was able to stay in for seven days in jhana would you know be at the pinnacle of mundane uh, meditation practice so for most people it might happen for an hour say maybe a couple of hours Uh, you know it'd be rare if it goes longer than that than, than a few hours that would be a high spiritual accomplishment no one would ever think they're stuck in it but technically they are i mean they don't have any get coming out of it it just happens for that long but again, it's a special attainment. As far as getting stuck, um, but I mean that's not really stuck. It's just like a time thing. You know, after the end of the time, you come out of it because the power that brought you into it is over. As for getting stuck on or at, in terms of not being able to go past, well, you know, there's two ways that can be looked at. So you could be stuck on, say, the first jhana and can't get to the second jhana. I would say that's just a matter of, of application, practice, refinement. Sometimes it involves stepping back and figuring out what you're ignoring, what what you're letting uh, interfere. With certain types of samatha meditation, you require ideal conditions. So you can look at things like food, your environment, even the sound. If there's loud sounds, it could be many different things that are disturbing your your tranquility. For the difference between samatha and vipassana, it is possible to get stuck on samatha practice, so you can go through all the jhanas, but never become enlightened, because with the jhanas you're talking about or you're dealing with are samatha jhanas, meaning your object is conceptual. And that's the only way you'd get stuck there, is if you maintained focus on a conceptual object. When, In order to go further, in order to go beyond samatha practice, You have to take uh, the ultimate realities as the objects, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, the things that are arising and ceasing, and the mind as well. Basically take the four foundations of mindfulness, as we talk about in our booklet, that sort of thing. If you focus in that way, then you'll be able to get beyond samatha practice.
1: I'm a student, but I really want to keep up with Dhamma practice. Is there a way to integrate Dhamma into my student life? What intentions should I have while studying? Kindly suggest some Dhamma books.
0: I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate. Uh, You could try doing the at-home course. We've had many students do the uh, at-home course. It's a challenge, and they often ask similar questions to what you're asking, but it seems to be fruitful even for them. It can be hard at certain points of the year to keep up regular practice as you sometimes have to study intensively. Uh, the thing you have to note, as I've said many times, is that during the time that you're actually studying, you, you can't expect to be very much dedicated to the mindfulness because it's a mental activity. Uh, the Studying is a mental activity that's different from a mindfulness activity, which is also a mental activity. Your mind can only be doing one thing at once. So what you want to try to do is take frequent breaks. That is good for your study as well, even outside of Buddhism. Anyone who who knows anything about, like experts who know things about studying and memory and so on, will tell you you only really retain what you study first and last or the beginning and the end. So short studies, study sessions are better than long study sessions, you know, that kind of thing. But for meditation practice, and for both really, it's great for meditation to be helpful uh, you can take frequent meditation breaks. I did this when I was studying, and it was you know, really helpful for clarity and, and when taking exams and that sort of thing. Uh, as for other Dhamma books, I mean, it, uh, there's none that really apply directly for students, but you can study the Buddha's teachings, study anything by the Mahasi Sayadaw. But maybe start with our booklet and uh, consider taking the at-home course. you haven't already
1: what advantages do you see in practicing satipatthana vipassana with a lay person after they are far along the path of enlightenment
0: well I mean no matter where you are on the path to enlightenment the advantages are the same progress along the path to enlightenment so if you're an arahant i mean arahant is still generally practicing mindfulness but they may not need to well they may not need to practice exactly the way we practice but they probably would it's just a peaceful natural way to live so i mean i don't know what you mean by far along the path Um, you mean someone who's already one of the Arya Pugala or someone who is on the way to becoming an Arya Pugala or that sort of thing? I mean, it stays the same. The practice doesn't change.
1: What should I do if, after initial concentration on the breath or abdomen, I start feeling anxiety and dislike of anxiety? I then focus on that feeling but that lasts until the end of the meditation.
0: Yeah, it probably doesn't. I mean, I'd be highly skeptical that any such dislike or anxiety can last for the whole meditation. The, The thing about anxiety is it's a complex phenomenon. The anxiety is only a part of the picture because it creates physical sensations that we interpret as being anxiety, and the physical sensations are not anxiety. We would say that because we generally think that the body is anxious or I am anxious. So because I am a single thing, the I, the self, is is this single concept. We conceive of both the physical and the mental as being anxiety, but they're not. They're two very different things. And even after the anxiety is gone, there might still be the physical sensations. If you can start to separate those out, that's useful. You can also separate out the thoughts that trigger the anxiety, that trigger the dislike. Um, and by, by seeing the, the more clearly the parts of the experience, uh, you're better able to catch and to break the chain. It just takes practice. Try The only thing you should really be focusing on is the mental things. Uh, the physical, you can note them a few times, but you don't have to stay with them. If you feel tension in the body, you know, just note it a few times and then go back to the rising and falling. It's meant to be a challenge, that's the whole point. It's not meant to be comfortable or easy because it's meant to show you impermanent suffering and non-self. And that's what you're seeing, really. Uh, You'll just have to get more familiar with it and come to a, a better perspective on how that's actually the nature of reality. It's not that something's wrong and you're doing something wrong and this practice is wrong or something like that. It's actually showing you some important characteristics of your own body and mind they're unstable, unpredictable, they're unsatisfying and you can't make them satisfy you, they are uncontrollable and you can't control them, they don't belong to you, they aren't self. Inside that being of yours there's actually many things, moments of experience that arise and cease and it's complicated. But the only thing you should really stick with is the actual mental part, the, the actual anxiety, the actual dislike, and they're pretty brief, they don't tend to last very long even though they can come back again you can be you can start to get better at noting them until they're go and before they come back you go back to the rising and falling and then if they come back well go back to noting them again
1: should i meditate right before bedtime or a few hours before
0: I mean, I don't have any preference for you. That that statement that those two ideas are are not really all that informative. One thing about right before bedtime is if you're tired before you go to sleep, that might not be the best time. So if you find that right before you right before bedtime you're tired, and I, I guess that's a general principle: is that generally before what people call their bedtime would be the time when they're very tired, and so waiting until that time is probably a bad idea now of course if it's like okay i have 30 minutes before bedtime then maybe you're not so tired because in 30 minutes you know you're going to get tired and it'll be bedtime that's the only concern i would say honestly i would say um after you've done, whenever you've done meditation, as you're lying down to go to sleep, try and be mindful as well. That, that's what I would really call meditating right before bedtime. It would be right at bedtime. You know, meditate uh, while you're falling asleep.
1: Can mindfulness breathing meditation alone lead someone to enlightenment?
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, you need more, you need to offer more details about the particulars of the practice because it's quite possible for breath meditation to lead you to samatha, to tranquility, and somewhat away from seeing the three characteristics. But really, it's seeing the three characteristics that leads to enlightenment, which requires you to focus on reality. Breath isn't such a real, real object. The breath itself is not the reality. The reality is the feel, the sensations, the four elements, the three elements, the earth, the heat and cold, the hard and soft, the pressure and flaccidity.
1: Is practicing wholesome states, love and kindness meditation, beneficial? I've asked myself this question. I see it as just feelings like any other and this practice would lead to clinging to them.
0: You can think of it as a generally useful a reminder because it points you in the right direction. When you say to yourself I wish for all beings may all beings be well, um it it allows you it provides perspective for states like anger. So when anger does come up, you have a good perspective on it. You're not blinded to it. You don't get lost in it. You immediately see it as something wrong. Yeah, something that needs to be care. You need to be careful with. You immediately see it as something that needs attention. So it's, convent. You know, it's um not conventionally, but it's uh, um. Well, it's helpful. Generally helpful.
1: I lowered my antipsychotic medication to half. I don't have psychotic symptoms, but I almost completely stopped this meditation. Before, I did up to four hours a day. What can I do? It seems overwhelming.
0: Well, you have to ask what it is that seems overwhelming. Try and focus on those things. They're just moments of experience. It's hard. Meditation is hard. Uh, You shouldn't be discouraged by it being hard. You should note the the aversion towards meditation, even if there's fear towards meditation. Just note those things, and when you're noting them, you're meditating. So poof, you you fix the problem. It's a hurdle that doesn't really exist because you can take the hurdle as a as an object. I mean, it's great that you're doing some, but recognize that it's hard. The thing is, when meditation on uh, psychoactive medita- medication is probably easier. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any real experience, but I would say it's probably quote unquote, like with air quotes, easier. Uh, and and so that might be a part of your issue is that now it's harder because you're not dull. You're not. The, your, your your senses are no longer dulled, so you have to face them. But that's the whole thing about not taking medication is that the idea is to face them. And get a better perspective on them. It. it's hard and and it's not to say that um you can be successful just going off medication or something like that it's, it's usually not the case i would say but if you slowly wean yourself off the medication which i'm not advocating because i'm not allowed to um then uh, you, you can slowly slowly get better at facing them so it's something you should talk to your doctor about and work out a regimen And see if you can find a way with your doctor's encouragement to um, to increase the meditation while decreasing the medication, so that you're slowly able to face the things that you've been avoiding, the things that trigger you, the things that are um, have power over you. Try and regain that power where they're no longer scary. But it's hard. I mean, the whole point is it's uh, it's a challenge and that's something you have to recognize that's that's by the very nature it's challenging
1: if sama samadhi is synonymous with jhana will it occur spontaneously inside our labeling practice
0: so samasamadhi is not synonymous with jhana. Uh, this is a m- bit of a misconception. I mean, it's not terribly wrong or anything, but it leads to some wrong views when you say that only jhana is samasamadhi. Because you say, well, the Buddha said that. He never said only. The word only isn't there. He said jhana is samasamadhi. That's what he said. Or he said, what is Samadhi? Well, jhana is samasamadhi. But that's not quite the same as saying only jhana is samasamadhi. And that's true of many tight things the Buddha said. The Buddha's asked about many different things and he said, What is this? And then he said, Here, this happens or that happens. But then he might say something else later is also the same thing. So it's not, it's just not fair to uh put words into the Buddha's mouth like that or to make more of something that he said. This literalist interpretation. It's not even literalist, it's this. But it's the same thing as literalists of, of in Christian traditions who who try and twist words or manipulate words to support their agenda. So just to point that out first. Um that being said, something like jhana is the only the only thing that is samasamadhi. We can say that that basically the basic idea behind this word jhana is synonymous with samasamadhi. But it's more complicated than that because the word can mean many different things. Um, it does mean many different things to many different people, all sorts of different explanations of what jhana is and people are arguing and fighting over it and people saying jhana is not necessary, people saying it is necessary, people saying only this type of jhana is real and that type of jhana is not real and the commentary jhana is one thing and the sutta jhanas is and I mean, just... it. It's absurd. I mean, I, I don't know whether you are familiar with any of these debates and arguments and fights, really, uh, and, and a lot of bickering, really. But it's a, it's a real problem. So we're much better off having a more, more friendly and kind and, and generous and thoughtful, is probably the best word, thoughtful view, to say that we know that there's this general idea of what jhana is, and the, the, really, it's quite clear. It's not something vague. It's that the absence of the five hindrances. That's what I would say is sama samadhi So, what that means is usually described as jhana, but it's complicated because there are lots of technical breakdowns and descriptions of what jhana means. Now, I would say so to 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 sort of gloss over all that because I'm not going to obviously go into the detail of all the technicalities of what one might mean by jhana um, we can say that absolutely the answer is yes Um, labeling practice is all about jhana it's all about a particular type of jhana Um, but uh, it's also on the other hand it's meditation and therefore it's jhana because that's what the word jhana means now that's kind of a cop out because you can't just call something meditation and say well that's sama samadhi but the other thing so so but that's not the case with with that's not what i mean by mindfulness it's not just that it's meditation but it's that it's right meditation it's meditation based on the three characteristics based on seeing things arise and cease and it's uh it, it culminates in freedom from the five hindrances but that being said even that is not sama samadhi because sama samadhi is only technically and this is getting a little technical is only the one moment of what we call path consciousness. It's one moment, actually, uh, followed by fruition moments, which are the same. But, I mean, that's that's not actual practice. That's just enlightenment. Um, so, yeah, I guess, honestly, the simple answer to your question is that, yes, it, that that will occur spontaneously as you three, see the three characteristics. Once you see any one of the three characteristics with perfect clarity, and with a mind that understands that that is the nature of reality uh, that is sufficient for um, for release for for the experience of nibbana which uh, that experience of nibbana is is when one has true sama samadhi but again it's complicated uh, these words i mean i don't it, there's just so much debate and controversy that's unnecessary It's all around theory, really. It's nothing to do with actual practice.
1: Sometimes I feel frozen in meditation, like my mouth opens involuntarily and I start breathing in through the mouth. It's hard for me to open my eyes afterwards. May I have some advice?
0: Well, I don't know if you've read our uh, booklet on how to meditate, but... These are just feelings. You don't feel frozen. There is a feeling that arises, Uh, so you note that feeling. Uh, If you notice that you're breathing through the mouth, you can note that. Um, There's something you're not saying. because, Well, you're kind of saying, I feel frozen, but I would want to be a little more particular there. What is the actual feeling? Because I feel frozen is a bit of an interpretation. You should note the actual feelings. You should also note mind states, how you feel about the things you experience, how you react to them, that sort of thing. They're going to be important because you can sometimes uh, subliminally or or slightly, subtly uh, encourage weird states. And if you're encouraging them, they're just going to continue to stay. You like them, or you dislike them, or you're worried about them, or you're afraid of them. That just perpetuates all sorts of weird stuff. But weird isn't a problem. You just note it and move on. What you're experiencing is impermanent suffering and non-self. Just
1: note it and. Move on. Is it necessary to note sensations using words, or is it more about noticing and being aware of when the sensations happen? Meaning I notice sensations when they happen and only note when I'm overwhelmed. No, noticing is not the same as
0: noting. Noting has much more power to straighten out the mind Because our ordinary noticing doesn't uh, overcome conceit, doesn't overcome craving, doesn't overcome views, doesn't have any potential to straighten out the mind in the way that the mantra does. So the answer is yes, it is necessary. Okay, let's say technically it's not necessary. Someone could become enlightened. It's just not going to be very likely unless you're already incredibly spiritually advanced. Which a lot of people think they are, I suppose. So, you know, leave it up to you. Let's put it this way. In our tradition, if you want our help, it is necessary. And there's no ends, ifs, or buts. So you're here, you're asking me, and this is my answer. If you don't agree, you know, no problem, no hard feelings. You just have to go somewhere else.
1: When eating and listening to Dhamma simultaneously, which should I note? If I note one, I can only focus on one. Can I have an open awareness on both? Can we bypass noting, in this case, multitasking? You
0: you really shouldn't multitask. I mean, listening to the Dhamma shouldn't be accompanied by eating. You should have greater respect for the Dhamma. Uh, That's fair, that's an important Buddhist principle. When listening to the Dhamma, you should listen respectfully. You shouldn't be browsing Facebook while you're listening to the Dhamma. You should have your eyes closed. You should be mindful and noting. And the same goes for eating. You know, the food, you should be respectful for the food and appreciative, not take it for granted and try and be mindful while eating. shouldn't really ever do both of those things at once. But that's kind of a cop-out. I mean, if for some reason it were necessary to do both at once due to, let's say, time constraints, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty poor excuse. But suppose it were an excuse, um, then, you know, it's still not multitasking. You just note whatever you're experiencing in the moment. Note whatever's clearest is a good practical advice.
1: Are there any situations in which you would recommend tranquility meditation? If so, would it be appropriate to practice it solely by noting the rising and falling of the abdomen without labeling the overwhelming painful situation?
0: Well, that wouldn't be tranquility meditation. Ignoring is not meditation at all. Um, I suppose for samatha meditation they do talk about ignoring, but... mm, Oh, so much about ignoring, yeah, maybe it is. It's more about uh, the focus on a single object. But when you're noting the rising and falling of the abdomen, you're not going to get anywhere if you're ignoring other things. You're certainly not going to enter into tranquility. So, rising and the falling of the abdomen is not a single object that persists. The only way you can practice tranquility meditation is by focusing on a concept. And of course, the downside to that is that it's conceptual. There's no relationship to ultimate reality and therefore no potential for seeing impermanent suffering and non-self. So I really wouldn't recommend tranquility. Not that it's a bad thing. I mean, it's the kind of thing that is recommended if you have the time and the energy and want some sort of fullness to your practice. You practice samatha first and then cultivate vipassana. It really is kind of uh, just prolonging the, 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 the progress, though. It takes time to do samatha first. It really depends on the individual and their circumstance, I think. Mostly we just teach vipassana. Well, really all we teach is vipassana because it's the most sure and certain way to actually progress. You don't really progress per se in the cultivation of samatha because you're not gaining wisdom and you're not on a path to gain wisdom. But it can be a preliminary supportive practice that then helps you gain stronger wisdom, Better, it makes you better capable of practicing vipassana later. So it's not wrong practice, it's not a bad idea.
1: What is rebirth and what is reincarnation? their words
0: and that's not really a buddhist question buddhism doesn't answer this question because these words are not really used in fact neither of these words is really used in buddhism uh though we usually use the word rebirth in buddhism in our in our our tradition um, we use it but it's not really a word that is used there are words that are kind of like that like there's one word like patisandhi which means relinking and it's the idea. I don't even know if it means relinking. It means a specific linking, um, but it kind of has the idea of of again. Uh, but but it's not even that's not even technically correct because nothing is ever reborn. Certainly, nothing is ever reincarnated. So yeah, not really a not really a question.
1: I have an answer for. Is it wholesome to sacrifice your life if it is to save another being? For example, saving a drowning man knowing doing it, you will die. Or can it still be unwholesome depending on why you save a being?
0: So wholesomeness is not in acts. Uh, Wholesomeness is in the states of mind in every moment. Uh, It's quite likely that an arahant wouldn't have any concern for their own life, but also no concern with other people's life. so probably wouldn't um, jump in to save a drowning person because they have no concern for either life. That being said, I mean, there may be, I'm just speculating about what an arahant might do in in a situation that doesn't come up. An arahant is very present, right? They're in the present moment, so depends on the circumstances they might just do something but it doesn't really have any consequences they don't think of it as consequential they just do it because it seems the natural thing to do but and and that's important to understand because when you ask a question like is something wholesome it's a very hard question to answer for the reason that i already mentioned because it's not actually about the the actual act it's about the state of mind so is it possible to do What um, I mean, usually what people want to know is for themselves, is it a good idea to do? Is it something they should do? And uh, the answer is complicated. The answer is that it probably doesn't, in the end, really matter. And so you shouldn't lose sleep over such moral dilemmas you should um, try to so so don't hesitate and don't worry about something being wholesome or unwholesome if you decide not to don't feel bad or guilty about not doing it if you decide to do it well it's likewise don't feel bad or guilty I guess the one thing I would say is that um, you're and this is actually something I've I, I should have said to start off it's much more important than what I've been saying is that ultimately you're, you're, you you're should have a one-track mind in term. you should, everyone should have a one-track mind in terms of their own spiritual development. Because even if you're talking about what good you can be for others, saving someone's life is not really all that big of a deal. Uh, helping someone to see the truth is a much bigger deal. I mean, it's actually something valuable for them. And the only way you can do that is if you have the truth, if you're aware of the truth or the best way to be able to do that is not just to parrot it, but, I mean, honestly, the best way, I mean, the most important thing is that you're still alive, right? But even beyond that, and much more important than that, is your own well-being. To even be an example for others, you have to be looking out for your own well-being. Everyone should be looking out for their own well-being, or else no one is ever going to improve. So everyone's looking out for everyone else's well-being. And so even to be a good example, you should look out for your own well-being, and therefore you should always prefer to stay alive uh, as long as you still have work to do to better yourself, as a human being anyway, which I guess is the only thing that's really meaningful. This question is only really meaningful for a human being. As a human being, you've, you've got the unique opportunity in the time of the Buddha to practice the Buddhist teaching So as opposed to looking at what's wholesome, looking at what you should do, that would be the answer.
1: I have been Christian for a long time. I meditate a few times a week. What is your take on doctrinal issues between religions, which sometimes seem incompatible? Well, yes, I mean, depending
0: on what you mean by Christian, it's likely to be very highly incompatible at the base because of belief in jesus christ being the only path to god and that sort of thing or you know the belief in a in an omnipotent being who created the universe who created all of us all of that is incompatible with buddhism i mean there's some fundamental incompatibilities on a surface level it's not a problem it's great i mean i certainly laud you for Uh, practicing meditation for being open-minded to start with but more importantly to practice something that i believe is truly valuable so great on the surface that's not a problem you might find over time that um, there is some challenge to your christian beliefs as being superfluous and uh, being uh, disconnected from reality that sort of thing but that would probably take some intensive practice and it might ne- that might never come about because your views might prevent you from seeing clearly from Buddhist perspective so I, mean, I wouldn't yeah. worry too much about it but appreciate that there's something deeper than actually just practicing Buddhist meditation as a Christian depending on what you mean by that word but I mean it's highly unlikely that anyone would call themselves a Christian after gaining uh, deep results in Buddhist meditation there's just no reason for it the only reason i can think of is if you're like your parents expected it of you you could say well i call myself a christian because it makes other people happy it makes my parents happy and and it's not a lie because i believe in some of the things that christ said and so my take on being a christian is believing in the good things that christ said doesn't mean believing all the other stuff
1: Should one try to avoid activities that make anger arise? I love doing sports, but the competitive nature brings out the worst in me.
0: Well I love doing sports isn't actually an excuse to be doing sports. So you have to acknowledge that first. Like that's not an argument for like that that's going that I'm I'm going to that, that a Buddhist is going to hear with uh, sympathy. In fact, when you love something, you're more likely to, it's of course more likely to bring out the worst in you. That's a big part of the reason. So it's not a but. I love doing sports, therefore, it brings out the worst in me. Um, should one try to avoid such activities? Technically, yes. I mean, the the, the the upside is it's not a huge deal, it's not something that's going to completely block your progress but certainly something that over time you're going to want to um, limit if you want real progress.
1: Does it go too far to say that all of conceptual reality is an illusion or trick of the mind? Well, it's an illusion. You could call it
0: a trick. That um, could be useful, but it's not necessary to call it a trick. It's just necessary to understand that it's not real. So it is illusory. I mean, I wouldn't say you even have to say that. You just understand what the word conceptual means, that it doesn't actually exist. It's just something we perceive as existing, something we create in the mind, like you create in your mind the idea of a person or a dog or a cat or a tree or something. It's a, it's a part of the mental process of recognizing and labeling and identifying and making meaning. giving meaning to.
1: After a long day of mental work, I am very tired. You recommend noting tired and say it goes away. It doesn't. Mind and body, brain, are interdependent. How can noting overpower physical effects? Yeah, I don't say it goes away.
0: I would say it can go away. There are times um, after a long day of mental work, it still can sometimes go away. Um, But you're right, the brain can be taxed. But on the other hand, it's more a matter of um, your, um, your mental capacity, because mindfulness doesn't need to be tiring. Though it can be very tiring, especially in the beginning, and especially if you're not practicing intensively, but uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say that noting tired makes it go away. It can, and sometimes it does. It more, it's more likely to go away when you're doing an intensive course. So after a few days of struggling with it, some meditators will come and struggle with it quite, um, quite strenuously, and after a few days. Um, it, it starts to clear up. Usually starts to clear up. But uh, yeah, noting tired can also just make you fall asleep. That can happen. Still recommend noting tired. Uh, and it, it's interesting, the physical effects are not as cut and dried as you might think. It's remarkable how sometimes. Um, there's a shift, and I guess has to do with chemicals in the brain and and so on, but it's not as simple to say your your brain is taxed and therefore needs sleep, for example. I mean, there's certainly something there, but it's not perhaps as simple as you make it out to be.
1: When I note Sometimes mental images arise in my mind. Example, if I note anger, a cloud with the label anger written on it arises. Basically, all I note comes with a supporting image to support it. As seeing it makes it easier to note or recognize, is this the right practice as I consciously construct these images, or should I note them too and stop encouraging their rising? So this goes back to, I think, the first question. This is
0: something extra you're adding um one one thing you can notice is where you say something that you're doing whatever it is that you're just to generalize when someone says something that they're doing makes it easier to note again as i've said it's hard it's meant to be hard it's a challenge if you're doing something to make it easier that's one of the things we're trying to overcome the need to fix things the need to make them easier the need to provide relief to get away from something so you doing that is just avoidance. It's not helpful. It's harmful. It's a detriment to your practice. Anything that makes it easier—that's a usual, a good war- warning sign um, when you talk about things like this. But um, the 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 vision is not helpful. It's it's a distraction, and distractions sometimes make it easier, but they don't make it better. If you see, you should note seeing, seeing until it goes away. And try again it can be a challenge in the beginning if that's the habit but that's the whole point the challenge
1: you yeah, you need patience persistence i am struggling with the words of tanisara bhikkhu that said that samsara is a sick joke even in death we can't escape how do i note this
0: Well, we don't follow Tanisarobhiku here. Um that doesn't mean much. Um I mean except, I only bring that up as you can, I can't really comment on something he said. Um I wouldn't try to pick this apart and understand. It doesn't sound terrible what he said. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing to say. Uh not in a bad way. But um more interested in your struggling. I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate or if you've done our at home course. But um Yes, you're just talking about noting it, so I don't know i guess I guess I would also say the reason for bringing it up is if you're practicing in this tradition, I would just recommend not reading or listening to his talks. I don't know if that's going too far, but I kind of have to say it because I do know that some of the things he believes or teaches are conflicting with the things that we teach, and I don't mean that as a criticism or trying to warn you away from him. I'm just saying stick to one or the other is probably better because at the very least his practice is fairly different from ours. And that's not a that's not a dig or anything. It's really, I'm trying to be neutral and I'm not trying to give you the idea that we're better or something. Uh, just saying it doesn't really work. You're better off sticking to teachings from this tradition, read Mahasi Sayada stuff, really the best there is. Uh, but, you know, this this thing in particular... I'm sorry is a sick joke. I don't know. I mean I would never say such a thing like that. I don't think I. mean you'd have to find the context. I don't I mean he's a he's quite a respected monk and I'm sure there's context to what he was saying. But uh, even in death we can't escape. I mean I guess that's what he's referring to that makes sense. It's important uh, he talks a lot about um a sense of urgency and those words that he's that you're presenting from him do make, create a sort of a sense of urgency. And so that's important to focus on. It's probably the sort of thing he's
1: he's trying to get across. Thank you, Bantu. We've crossed the hour and you've answered every question we're prepared to ask today. Great. Thank you, everyone,
0: for your questions. Thank you, Chris, for your help. Edit for coming to help as well. Of course. Have a good week, everyone. Sadhu. Sadhu.